So this is part one of two in a series that I recorded with Miss Betty Murray because her and I are really two birds of a feather and we both have things that really chap our ass in the whole world of functional medicine, thyroid hormones, you name it. All of the misinformation being given to you that we need to sort through, clear out, and reduce the clutter so that you can better understand how to take control of your health and how to really push out all that bullshit that you're hearing, whether it's from your doctor or from media. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So in part one, we are deep diving into testosterone. Now you've heard me bitch about this before, but testosterone is so much more than a dude hormone. Ladies, you need it. It is vital. And many of you don't even realize how vital it is. It goes way, way, way beyond libido. It goes into heart protection. We dive into a study that totally debunks every single study out there that says testosterone is bad for you. So whether, again, you're hearing that from your doctor, you're hearing that from the media, you can all tell them to piss off because now we have evidence to the contrary, that testosterone provides longevity, cardiac protection, brain protection, muscle protection, bone protection, dot, dot, dot. So enjoy part one where Betty and I deep dive into the benefits of testosterone and the things that chap our ass in this world regarding testosterone. All right, Dr. Amy, we are back together again today because we are both hot and bothered about some stuff that we need to talk about. So tell me what has got you chapped. What has really got you going right now? You know, we got to come back to testosterone, right? And, and I've bitched about this before, but I think this is going to be a great conversation between the two of us. This is kind of like a constant chap. So testosterone, when we're talking about males or females, and we're going to really focus on the females, but the guys get the shaft too when it comes to testosterone therapy. We tend to forget in our conventional medicine world that women have testosterone and that it is the most abundant hormone in a woman's body. So when we when you say women, we think estrogen. And if you go to your doctor and you're like, I want a hormone test and you're a female, you're going to get your estrogen tested maybe. And if you're a male and you're like, hey, doc, I need a, a hormone test, you're going to get your testosterone. Conventional medicine forgets that we have a plethora of hormones and really, really forgets that women have testosterone as a dominant hormone. Now, we don't have as much of it as guys do. So when I say dominant, I'm not talking about the number 
or the amount of testosterone that we have, but it's our dominant hormone in that it is vital to so many different aspects of our body and our health and our mind and our bones. And so it really has a, a very significant impact on the body. It's often forgotten, overlooked, undertreated, dismissed, and obviously not looked at from an optimal standpoint. It's only looked at in the in the context of the normal standard lab value range when it comes to optimizing female health. So I don't think anybody really recognizes this. Several studies, Fenton and Panay and several other ones, have actually shown that women in their prime make three to four times as much testosterone as they do estradiol. So it's just the feminizing effects of estradiol are so significant that we see that. So it really, it really is a, a huge hormone. You know, and and I agree. It's just it's insane to me that we number one think that women don't have it, and number two, we look at it as oh, in women it's because you've lost. Hold on, let me back up because I'm going to have to be a little more pissed about this than I really am. Right. The only indication in women, and again, the FDA doesn't approve it. Right. In the United States, but in Australia they do, and and there was actually a position p- paper we can talk about later on that came out. But it's only for what is considered a psychological disorder, which is for lack of sexual desire, lack of sexual interest. You know, it, it, so it's not even considered a condition. It's all it's it's a it's a it's a mental problem, not a physiological problem. Right. And let me springboard and get even more pissed off. So conventional medicine ties it to libido, to sex. And there are so many different facets of libido beyond testosterone. Yes, it is important, ladies. Yes, we do want you to have adequate levels of testosterone to have a libido. So if we get a patient and they're complaining of low libido, yeah, we're going to check your testosterone, your free and total testosterone. But there are so many other things that contribute to libido. And we can very easily, and I'm sure Betty has seen this in her practice, see a woman with a beyond optimal level of testosterone still saying that she has low libido. So we have to look at DHEA. We have to look at estradiol. We have to look at what kind of relationship are you in? You know, do you even like the person that you're with? And there's so many different aspects to libido. But here we are in conventional medicine saying, Well, yeah, you can have some testosterone just as long as it's a sexual condition, ladies, just as long as that's all it is. Don't mind all the other benefits of it. If you feel like garbage, if you have no motivation, if you're losing muscle, if you're gaining body fat, if you're losing bone, if you're depressed, anxious, you got cardiovascular conditions, sorry, we know testosterone is important for all those, but only if you have low libido will we approve it. That's ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. And, and yeah, you know, some women might just need a spousectomy or, you know, some other things. They need 20 things taken off their plates so they can find sexual interest. It's not always hormonal. Right. So I agree. So let's talk specifically about this study that came out, because this is a study in the Sexual Medicine, Journal of Sexual Medicine, that was looking at both men and women. Again, women under the kind of guise of mental, emotional disorders. But they outlined a lot of conditional things that testosterone plays a role in. Obviously, they were speaking specifically about men. But again, go through some of those and like, we'll do a little bit of aha here. Like, oh, women get that same condition too. Women, yes. So symptom wise, kind of along the lines of the list that I just rattled off there. So we have the the loss of muscle. So sarcopenia. As we age, we need our androgens to maintain muscle tissue. Now, yeah, you've got to be lifting. You have to be doing body weight exercises. Ultimately, I want you to lift heavy. I want you to sleep well. I want you to be eating enough protein and amino acids to feed the muscle. But without enough testosterone, even if you're doing all of the things, 
we can still see a loss of muscle mass. And with that comes loss of protection of your bones. So testosterone has a direct effect on bone production, just like estrogen does. So without testosterone, without estrogen, you're going to have a higher risk of brittle bones, of osteoporosis, of osteopenia. But then when you lose that muscle protection around your bone, of course, you're going to be at greater risk of fractures. And you're going to be at greater risk of just loss of mobility and strength overall to do just functional daily tasks. So that's one really key aspect when we're looking at both sexes that testosterone plays a role in. And I'll go just go one more and then I'll let you springboard. The mental aspect. So here we are in conventional medicine throwing antidepressants left and right. And I see this when I'm treating thyroid conditions too, that instead of getting to the root cause of the problem, let's just band-aid it with an antidepressant, an anti-anxiety medication, a sleeping pill. And if we just looked at testosterone levels in both males and females, we're going to see a direct correlation most of the time when thyroid is or isn't involved, we're going to see a direct correlation with low testosterone and higher incidence of depression and anxiety and just, I mean, just mood swings in general, even if we can't classify it as clinical depression, just those mood swings that that deep lack of motivation, that loss of zest for life, that desire to just go do whatever it is, whether it's go to the gym, go for a walk, go out with friends, going out on a date, just that whole motivation to live life is gone. And you're just in this very blase state where you just lose desire for pretty much everything. That can come back to testosterone. No, oh, absolutely. And testosterone is, is such a main driver of our dopaminergic, so dopamine action in the brain. So yeah, you just feel flatlined. Men and women always, that's one of the first symptoms outside of probably a little bit of sexual desire is, wow, I just feel like I'm more me, like my old me. Like I, I've got some interest in just life in general. And yeah, and I think the most insidious thing too is looking at that study is the decline in testosterone doesn't happen at menopause. It's actually way before that, and it is a steady, slow decline. So by the time you, your ovaries finally peter out, your testosterone's been in the toilet for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? and I'll see it. I'll see it in, in 30-year-olds with their testosterone levels in the basement, not even, and it'll be in that standard lab value range, ladies. I'm not saying that you're gonna be flagged low. You're not gonna get the L next to your total testosterone, your free testosterone. It's just going to be in that way, way lower than what Betty and I would like to see it in, definitely not in the optimal range low. And I'll start to see that happen in, in women's 30s, really. I mean, yeah, and that's when it should be tested and treated. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so the big like take home message for women is even if you're not in menopause, this is already occurring in your thirties and forties. And by the time you're in your forties, it's a significant decline. And you know, some of the symptoms that we haven't really even touched on is hair loss. Like we think of hair loss because of testosterone and men like baldness and, it, yep. and too much can definitely cause hair loss in women, but hair loss is also a symptom of not enough. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. You and I have gone over the, the hair loss component because we both experienced it, right? Whether it's from low thyroid function, low protein intake, but testosterone is one of those components in the list of when we're looking at what is causing your hair loss or your hair thinning. Do you have adequate testosterone? hundred percent. That's a key component. Absolutely. So 
One of the other things I thought was kind of interesting is looking at some studies, because, of course, I had to geek out real quickly. I'm like, okay, let's go find out what that. Yeah, you're good. What what the FDA hasn't actually read, you know, because there's so just in case people haven't seen this, there's a meta analysis, which is in science. That is a, a research paper that goes out and looks at all the research out there on a particular subject. And they'll have very tight, you know, requirements in order to include a study. So it has to be rigorously studied, everything very well defined. And they'll pick like the best ones out of it that is really stand up to scientific rigor. And so the most recent one was published in 2022 and had 17 studies looking at women with testosterone therapy. So everything from review to clinical trials. And across the board, the recommendation was women should be put on testosterone therapy and it should be something considered long before menopause. And I could geek out and give you the exact recommendations from the the actual clinical because meta-analysis are how we come up with the cookbook of medicine. So the consensus statement was the use of testosterone therapy for women has been published in four journals. So it's not that hard to find if you're in the science world. And and what they said is as the most comprehensive evidence-based guidelines to date, which should supersede every other guidelines, use of testosterone therapy should at least be looked at for sexual function, well-being, mood, cognition, musculoskeletal effects, cardiovascular and breast health, as well as the androgenic side effects and adverse events, meaning give physiological levels of testosterone for mood, cognition, musculoskeletal, cardiovascular, breast health, breast health, not breast risk, and make sure you don't go too far above that. So you start giving other, you know, side effects that are above physiological range. So the consensus is out there and we're just getting robbed of the opportunity to be treated appropriately, particularly in the U.S., and this is why I love you, Betty, because you dive into you dive into those papers like it's your job, which it kind of is. So that's why I, I love that you bring the the breakdown of what those papers mean, because so many people might look that up and go, what? You know, is this even accurate? Was this funded by a junk company? What kind of study am I looking at? What's a meta analysis? So I love that you break that down. I love it, love it, love it. And then there was the paper that I sent you too. Again, you probably know this like the back of your hand, but I believe that one was from 2021 or maybe yes. it was 2022, 2021, that basically, and, and I summarize it as, they blew all of the other papers out of the water, pretty much tearing them apart. So what my take of this particular piece of literature that was published is that they went through studies that pretty much said testosterone is bad for you. It's going to cause a heart attack. And they're like, yeah, no, actually, when you really look at it, it has a cardioprotective effect. And oh, by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with giving, like you said, physiological doses of testosterone. They're not advocating for abuse of testosterone like that we see in certain sports. We're talking about physiological doses. Now, what that means for you as a male or female might differ a little bit because maybe your optimal is a little bit higher than Susie Q's optimal. If we gave her the same dose as we give you she might break out and grow some facial hair and you're a freaking rock star. So it's all about finding what physiological means for you. But this particular study paper analysis, Betty will know, pretty much broke down and said, nope, sorry, all of those other papers, bad. Turns out everything that they're saying, wrong. Testosterone, positive. 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and it was a paper looking at both men and women. So it wasn't like they just picked one sex and sort of went all out. And I, you know, one of the things that I noticed wasn't really heavily talked about in the paper is truly they mention it as far as breast health, because of course, anytime you talk hormones, cancer comes up, you know, the, as, as the fear, right? And that's the fear that gets kind of put out there in the industry because a lot of researchers come with their own personal bias. And, you know, like the women's health study was biased towards hormone replacement is bad for women. That was what they went to prove. And of course, you know, when you do that, you probably could spin the numbers and change the the statistical analysis to look that way. And that's what they did. But when we look at the overall values in this paper, they didn't necessarily look at what the protective effects of androgens have in breast cancer. So for instance, in estrogen sensitive breast cancer and progesterone sensitive breast cancer, higher levels of androgen are protective, right? So you you might be protected if you had adequate testosterone at a physiological premenopausal level. I don't want a 56 year old level or 53 year old level, which is what I'm right now. I want to be prior to that when when I was at my prime, right? So it has that protective effect. You know, and same thing with autoimmune conditions, autoimmunity across the board, you have a higher risk for it just by having lower androgens. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other androgens, too, because we kind of touched on it, testosterone being the second most powerful and the one that has the most desired effects, particularly on libido and sexuality. But there's others, too, like DHEA. Yep. So DHEA, I love DHEA. It's very, very important. Um, What I find, though, is that too many practitioners think that they're going to treat a low testosterone with just DHEA. Now, in some situations, some cases, absolutely, 100%, that will work because DHEA will push up testosterone levels. It'll also push up estradiol levels. So you want to kind of be sure that you're not in in an estrogen-dominant state taking DHEA to try to raise your testosterone. So you really want to be working with somebody that knows what they're doing with hormones because it is a hormone. It's very powerful. Where I really like to use DHEA is in women that have the painful intercourse, the vaginal dryness, because you don't want to be putting testosterone cream on your clitoris. That's not a good idea, but that's where you're going to get the clitinus. You're going to get growth and it's not going to be reversible, ladies. And there are practitioners out there. They're like, oh yeah, you just want a little bit more blood flow to that area. Just throw some testosterone cream on it. No, That is what DHEA compounded cream and suppositories are for. And that will, I mean, DHEA does just a beautiful job at helping women with that that pain during intercourse and that extreme vaginal dryness. Now, estrogen has to come on board as well, but that's where I like to use DHEA. And then obviously it supports the adrenals. We test DHEA. If that is really bottomed out low, 100%, let's supplement with it. Let's get those levels up while we're addressing your testosterone. In most cases, I will not use DHEA on its own to get a, a testosterone up. Let's let's just take the total testosterone. For a woman, I want to see it above 50. I'm not going to use DHEA to bring a woman who's a total testosterone of a three up to a 50. That's not going to work. It's just going to be there to support on the back end. Yeah, I haven't ever seen DHEA in testing actually significantly raise, you know, because that's the argument. If you give DHEA, your testosterone is going to skyrocket and you're going to have, you know, all of a sudden it's going to make estradiol. And I have yet to see significant increases in testosterone and or estradiol with the use of DHEA at a physiological level. I just haven't seen it, you know, in 
decades at this point. So I agree with you. Now, there's a couple other androgens, too, like androstenedione and your other little friends, DHT. So let's talk about those little friends, because androstenedione is obviously less impactful than testosterone, but obviously can get converted to it. And then right. we have its friend. DHT, yes. Androstenedione, gosh, I haven't, I, I, I don't test for it. I'm not sure if you do. So I'm curious to see if you do. I remember it more back from the bodybuilding days where you would actually see it in a supplemental form. I don't think that it's in existence now anymore. They probably got pulled along with, you could find T3 in a supplemental form back then. But yeah, it's it's a great precursor, let's say, to testosterone. So it's it's something that maybe I should be testing for and and looking at, and, but I don't even know if it is in supplemental form anymore. Like I said, I'm pretty sure it got pulled. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, it is an androgen. It has more androgenic effects than anabolic effects. So when we're looking at supplementation and even, you know, therapeutically off-label, Sometimes I'll even use oxandrolone or anivar, especially in an older population of women that are losing muscle. We can use that to maintain their muscle. When we're looking at the kind of androgenic versus anabolic effects and what that means for you guys listening, you ladies listening, is we want you more anabolic, meaning I want your muscles to grow, not like a bodybuilder, not that you're going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I want your muscles to grow and be very protective and be just full and strong, but I don't want you growing facial hair, clitinus, acne, you know, having the male pattern baldness. So that's where we want more anabolic than androgenic, kind of moving into the DHT, dihydrotestosterone. That is what we look at to see if you push your testosterone down the 5-alpha reductase pathway, possibly pushing up your DHT, that's where we see the male pattern baldness. And even in some cases, the more androgenic effects like acne and hair growth, if that's up. Now we can test your pathway on a Dutch test. We can test DHT in blood. We can also test your 5-alpha reductase pathway on a Dutch test. For myself, I do have that dial more toward the 5-alpha reductase pathway. So I tend to push my testosterone to DHT. On a blood test, my DHT is high. Now, here's the kicker. I do not have the side effects of elevated DHT because, and I'm going to bring in one other, my sex hormone binding globulin is high. So SHBG binds first to DHT. I'm not saying go out if you have high DHT, go ahead and go raise your SHBG. No, we don't want to do that. That's just how my profile is when I test it. And that's just, that's why I don't get the side effects of it. So I am one of those where I don't really try to lower my SHBG that much. I have the beneficial effects of my testosterone replacement. I have the beneficial effects of my estradiol replacement. My SHBG is preferentially binding to my DHT, protecting me from the androgenic side effects. So I get more anabolic than androgenic side effects, well, effects of my testosterone. But yeah, that's kind of my breakdown, but I'm really more interested. I, I really want to hear what your breakdown of the androstenedione is too, because I, like I said, I don't test for that. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought it up because it was around that sort of it's much more androgenic. So it's, you know, it was always used in the bodybuilding world as a cocktail because there was like, you know, if it has any anabolic and androgen effects, basically you threw it all at it. <laughs> if you were a guy lifting weights, trying to trying to do a dirty, oh, you yeah. know, a, a dirty weight, you know, <laughs> um, bodybuilding contest. So um, but it did have a lot of negative side effects, significant, you know, hair loss and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, DHT and I think, um, you know, depending on the woman, she may not have necessarily high DHT levels, you know, because it is stronger than testosterone, but her blood levels may not be high. But DHT is also expressed in the hair follicle on your head. So depending on how much that expression is, you could even have normal DHT in your blood work but still possibly be getting an androgen effect in the scalp hairs, right? So, you know, I think it's always important to monitor DHT and monitor, you know, the symptoms somebody's having, obviously making sure that testosterone doesn't go too high because it'll bind to those same receptors. Yep. Androstenedione will as well. But then if, it, if they are even getting hair loss with normal DHT levels, they might need some DHT blocking, particularly on the scalp. You know, that's just the challenge. I, you know, I think it's interesting either... Doctors don't give testosterone at all in many cases. Or I, I do live in the world of, you know, the pellet therapy. All the pellet therapy companies are, are basically, except for one, is based out of Texas. Yeah. You know, and we got a very macho, we, you know, we're from Texas, man. We're macho. And so we have this very much kind of overriding thought that more is always better is kind of what you hear sort of in the medical community. And when someone as a woman is experiencing some of those things, it's it probably is because they're being overtreated. And like you said, the little mini peeny, you don't want that either. Like if you right. get too much testosterone, things grow that you don't want to grow. Right. <laughs> you know? So and location, you know, I hadn't really thought about that, but I forgot that people were telling women to put testosterone on their clitoral hood for sensation. But again, that's putting it right where those growth patterns would happen. Like yes. that, I forgot all about that. I'm so glad, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, I would be very concerned about somebody thinking that that was a good idea for sure. So now let me throw a question back to you real quick, since you mm -hmm. just talked about the, the pellets, what is your preferred testosterone replacement treatment for women? You know, I, it's highly individualized. So at, at my clinic, the the prescribers that are there, we do a little bit of everything. So we do topicals. And especially if somebody is skittish about using hormones, or maybe they had like their own sketchy hormone history, you know, you know, the ones like fibroids and pain, painful periods and all this other stuff. I, I like starting with a topical because you, it's easy to go up, down, change it back and forth. We do do pellet therapy because there's a lot of people like that it's every three to four months, you don't have to deal with it. But, you know, it is a controlled dose. And I would say, generally speaking, a lot of the recommendations from the algorithms to dose these, I believe, are a little more aggressive than what they need to be. But of course, you know, the clinician has the opportunity to change whatever algorithm to figure out how much what somebody needs and wants. You know, in testosterone therapy, it has a diurnal rhythm. I don't think ours is, is erratic, meaning that, you know, the rhythm throughout the day up and down. I don't think ours is erratic, as erratic as men. I didn't see any studies looking at you know, I do know it's highest in the morning. So women, if your husbands are complaining, if you're married or anybody's significant partner that they're not getting any booty in the evening, you tell them our testosterone is high in the morning after a good night's sleep. So, you know, you need to set aside the morning time because it's probably better. So there is a there is a peak there, but I don't know. I haven't really seen a lot about if ours fluctuate as wildly. So on the pellet therapy, 
you don't get those diurnal fluctuations, but you're more consistent, you know, because you're transdermal, you do have to worry about transference to your pets and your kids and your significant other while you're absorbing it. And then I, I have to say some people just don't do well, depending on the medium in which the testosterone is in. So the carrier lotions and things are all, you know, a little suspect. So sometimes they may not do as well as that. And then you have the injectable. And, you know, some people are just nervous about injecting things, even though it's tiny, it's like an insulin needle. Yeah. So that's it's that too. So I, I think... You know, everybody, and I've been on kind of all versions, you know, because yep. I'm, I'm a guinea pig. I'm like, what, what would that feel like? <laughs> exactly. We try it on ourselves. You yeah. know, and in disclosure, I have pellets today, mostly because I, I'm the, I'm the thing I have to fight the most about my own self-care is I'm the shoemaker. Right. And it's, you know, the old adage, like I'll, I'll look around and be like, oh, I forgot all about that. And I, oh, I just did that not too long ago. And, you know, and they're like, oh, it was three months ago, Betty. I'm like, oh, really? So I, for me, it's a convenience thing, you know, but I have to be very careful because if I push my testosterone too high, I will lose hair because I, I lose hair for everything. Doesn't matter. Stressed, thyroid, whatever. My hair falls out. (laughs) Oh yeah. Change of weather. You know, my hair is going thin and straw like absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Now, have you used a bunch of different methodology as well personally? So personally, I have never tried the pellets. I have only done the injectable with the cream, even with my patients that, like you said, they, they maybe they're a little bit skittish with the needles and they want to start with the cream or maybe their testosterone is, it's almost right there. We're, we're so darn close and we just need something to push it over the top. We'll do the cream. But like you said, there are so many variables. I have seen women go from a test level of a 10 to a 125 with the cream. And I have seen women go from a 20 to a 23 with the cream. So, I mean, literally it's, it's so widely varied, definitely dependent on the carrier base that the compounding pharmacies use, how the, the patient themselves applies it. Are they rubbing it in for two minutes? Are they putting it on the right location? All of that factors in. And then are they even given the right dose of the cream if they're working with somebody else you know, and they come to me and they're like, yeah, I've been on a test cream. Okay. Are you on like two milligrams, one milligram a day? That's not even enough. I've only used the injectable. I prefer it because it is so easy to do. And I feel like it keeps me at the level that I need to be at. And it keeps me steady. I don't get really any kind of high peaks and valleys, but again, it's just so individualized. You just have to find what's going to work for you as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and, and you and I are big advocates for testing, right? Test before you start, test while you're on it, test when you're doing a, you know, symptoms change. So you can actually monitor what's going on. And I was very happy about that particular article really going, Hey, you should test sex hormone binding globulin and globulin and total testosterone. And before you initiate therapy in both men and women, so you can really watch and see it. And then of course, you know, why don't you give your take on oral testosterone <laughs> as we both know? Yeah, no, oral testosterone just, I mean, it pounds the liver. So most orals are, most orals are from the bodybuilding world and they are going to be way more androgenic than anabolic. So you're going to get a lot more of the side effects in addition to most do a double pass of the liver. So that's where we'll see, you know, severe liver issues, elevated liver enzymes, just all kinds of problems from the oral. Now, the only oral, like I mentioned earlier, that I will use personally and with patients is oxandrolone. But what I will have them do is do a sublingual. So dissolve it under the tongue 
then that way it's not really going. I mean, yes, some of it is still getting processed through the liver. Absolutely. But by doing it sublingually, you are kind of saving a little bit of that pass. I haven't seen any studies to say like doing it sublingually will be just a one pass of the liver instead of double pass. But we we see much better liver profiles and blood work profiles when done sublingually. And you don't really need that much. I mean, when we're looking at, again, kind of going back to my roots, the bodybuilding world, women athletes, female athletes would be using somewhere between 25 and 50, maybe even up to 100 milligrams a day. I'm talking about using five milligrams a day, maybe 10, just to have that muscle protection to get a little bit. And this is great too for women who maybe they can't tolerate testosterone. They do push down the 5-alpha reductase pathway. My assistant, man, she cannot tolerate. You give her a drop of testosterone and it's cystic acne city. But with, and we haven't tried this on her yet, we, we will, trying oxandrolone, which doesn't have that same really strong and uh, anabolic property to it, that actually might save her. She might get the benefits. The She's going to get the anabolic side, but without the androgenic side effects. So that's what I, that's my two cents on the oral versions. Yeah. Again, DHEA, obviously we can give oral, but you don't need a ton of it, you know? Right. You know, and that one's easy to do. So, so I agree with you on that one. I think there's, I, you know, and I hadn't really ever thought about using some of those other medications in somebody that hadn't really handled testosterone well as women, right? Right. So just thank you for that, because that, that is a brand new thought for me. <laughs> now, there are trochies, too. I didn't mention that because I, I don't use them. So mm-hmm. I totally glossed over the trochies, but one of my health coaches is using a troche, and she's using like eight... I think she, maybe she just bumped up to 16 milligrams a day because she does better with a little bit higher testosterone level. And that works just fine for her. So if you can use trochies, that's fine. It's a little bit safer than just a normal oral because, again, you're getting that sublingual absorption. Yes, yes. So, yeah, and, you know, we don't do trochies in Texas because most of the time you can't ship them you know, when it's hot, because right. they, they just come in as like, like, gums. Hot. yeah, yeah. So they come together like a gumball. So you can't really you can't control the dose, you know, and so, you know, and so if you were to wrap this up and sort of give a general recommendation for for the women out there that are maybe thinking about testosterone therapy, and, you know, do I need it? And should I do it? And when should I do it? What would be your like, here's the five things that you need to really know as a take home message from this? Okay. So first of all, you have to know the importance of testosterone. Don't gloss it over. Don't categorize it as a bodybuilding drug. Don't categorize it as a male hormone. It is vital for you ladies on so many different levels. And we kind of went over that about all the different protective mechanisms, aspects of testosterone. So just know that it is vital. Then we have to move on to testing. Now just start with serum tests, start with blood, get a free and total testosterone, get, well, get a full hormone panel, is really what you should be doing. But when we're talking testosterone, free and total testosterone and SHBG, sex hormone binding globulin. Let's take a look at those and see where you land. Let's throw in a DHEA as well. Let's check that out. And then beyond that, now you have to decide, okay, where are your levels as compared to your symptoms? So if you're coming in at a total testosterone of a 45 and you say, well, Dr. Amy said that it should be above 50, right? But how do you feel? So if you're right on that cusp, maybe you're going to be okay. Maybe you don't have to do anything right now and you just have to watch and monitor. But if you're 
loaded down with symptoms. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm losing muscle left and right. I've lost strength in the gym. I'm putting on body fat like crazy. It literally feels like I'm cannibalizing my own muscle. My libido's in the tank. I got brain fog out the wazoo. I have no motivation whatsoever to do anything. Then yeah, let's look at testosterone replacement and find what path is best for you. Because just like Betty and I just talked about, there are so many different ways to treat this. And we can really customize a program and a protocol that works for you and your lifestyle and you know who's in your house and do you want to inject? Do you want a pellet? Do you want to rub in a cream? All of that. I mean, it's all customizable. So I guess those are only three points, but those are the top three points we have to look at. I guess point number four and five, let's check the other things that contribute to low testosterone. Let's check your thyroid function. Let's check all the other hormones. And then let's check your lifestyle. Now, nowhere in the literature have I ever seen, maybe Betty has, nowhere in the literature have I ever seen that getting eight hours of sleep and lifting heavy will raise your testosterone. There's a couple of studies out that show, okay, if you go to the gym and you lift heavy, we can kind of measure this little bit of a boost in testosterone. But to my knowledge, those studies were done on dudes. Women's health lacks attention in the in the studies. I mean, we just we we are seen as little men, and that's just not the case. So I haven't seen anything that shows directly that if a woman really focuses on getting eight hours of sleep and goes to the gym and lifts heavy and gets all her protein in that we can take her testosterone from a three to a 50. Uh, probably not. That's probably going to require some testosterone replacement therapy. But you can't discount the lifestyle changes that you need to be doing too, because we can't just give you TRT and then you be sleeping for five hours and, you know, not sitting on your ass, not lifting a weight. Like, no, that's not going to work at all. And eating 50 grams of protein a day, that's not going to work. But when it's all done together, then it works beautifully. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. I agree. You know, I, I, I have seen a few studies and I've seen it even in my own male clients. Like if I get a 35 year old man, that's like, I'm got low T. I'm like, well, you know, what do you do? Oh, I work. I mean, what do you do when you get home? Well, I sit on the couch, I drink a beer, have pizza, and then right. I play World of Warcraft or whatever game they're playing. Like th their physical activity is just getting to work. I'm like, okay, I need you to go lift heavy in the gym for three months. You know, get some physical. I don't even care if you change your diet. Like, let's just start with the basics. And then let's, let's see what your real number is. Because you will see a, an increase, particularly if it's a younger man. Mm -hmm. But there's at some point, it's the point of no return. You know, in that the study, they looked at women that were between, between 20 and 49 that had gone through oophorectomy, so they've had their ovaries removed. Mm -hmm. And what they found is even the 20-year-olds, because 90% of our testosterone is made in our, in our ovaries, the 20-year-old had levels that were equivalent to uh, the 50 to 70-year-olds, right? So, so all of the early ovarian failure and all these other things that we see are probably indicating that we're seeing hormonal decline, particularly probably, I, I don't, there, I haven't seen any studies on this, but I would bet that we're seeing extraordinary changes in testosterone, you know, probably going into it, but it's a lot, you know, that's happening afterwards. So it's, it's something that needs to be addressed earlier rather than later. So it's not, I'm going to wait until my period stops and I'm going to think about testosterone therapy. I probably need it in my forties, you know, absolutely. And then probably the only other thing I would say is, you know, testosterone is an anabolic hormone. So it tells the body to grow and it has an intimate relationship with growth hormone, IGF-1 and insulin. So in men, I have, I've seen it work in men where they get leaner, but in women, 
right? If a woman's got, she's overweight and she's got some metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance, if it is not timed correctly with adequate, which I know in your program, we're like, okay, we're going to do all this stuff. You can't just, you can't just inject or take a hormone because it doesn't work right. that way. But if you're not metabolically sound and those metabolic hormones aren't in synchrony, you'll see weight gain in mm-hmm. some women when they take testosterone. And it's very frustrating because it gets marketed as, oh, you can lose weight. And I'm like, well, not always. Right. You know, so, so sometimes if you're not, if we're working with a practitioner and you know you're kind of insulin resistance and you're gaining weight or whatever, testosterone's not your panacea for everything. As a woman, you may need to double down on the sleep, the weightlifting, the diet, dialing in the thyroid and all that other stuff. Then add testosterone once your metabolic hormones are safer because it's easy yep. to gain five, 10 pounds, you know, pretty quickly. Yes, yes. And, that, and that's where I... I disagree with like the hormone clinics that are out there in abundance that just throw testosterone at women. And it's like, no, 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 you have to do it all. And especially in the menopausal population where we're seeing estrogen and progesterone decline, if you just load that woman with more testosterone, she's going to become more boxy than she already is. She's already lost the estrogen that gives us as women those the curves and the suppleness and now you become a boxy dude because all you're doing is throwing on testosterone. It really has to be the complete picture. You have to be addressing thyroid function that if low will act, will drive low hormones. And then you have to be addressing the estrogen and the progesterone piece so that all hormones are in that synchronicity. You can't just do one without the other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, believe me, you could throw a rock in Dallas and hit a clinician somewhere that's doing hormones with varying degrees of skills and understanding. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely see it. Yeah. Well, man, we, we pretty much, you know, <laughs> drug that horse behind the, behind the car at this point, like beat the horse, drag the horse, but it's, it's the reality of women's health. It's just, we have to fight for the same equivalence in medicine as men. And it takes, if taking this and printing this study and giving it to a clinician and going, I expect you to read this as my care provider. Right. You know, I mean, good luck, but right. it's probably not going to happen, but you can try, right? You can try. You can try. And you yeah. can fire the one that doesn't do you, you know, what you need them to do by being on top of the research. So, you know, that's, that's 100%. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Gosh, this has been such a good talk. It's great. I know. I love it. Thanks, Betty. All right. Awesome.